From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Goal Own Goal. Joining me, as always, the human own goal himself, Roger Paul Mitchell. Rog, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to see you. I know you're buzzing around. I am buzzing around. That is one way to put it. Yes, I am buzzing around like a demented fly. But um, I get to spend an hour of my day talking to you about sport, Rog, which always makes me happy. So, the good and the bad and the ugly. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So listen, let's go straight into it, because I know you've got a hard deadline. Um, let's let's start off with you this week. What what have you got for me? Well, it's a continuation of something we've been noticing and talking about in recent weeks, and that is the Tyson Fury Ganu fight uh, in Saudi last weekend. Obviously, Fury, the heavyweight champion of the world, but none of his belts were at stake in this fight against the UFC champion. Fury gets knocked down in the third round, wins on a split decision. Fine, I didn't watch it. I had zero interest in it. Ironically, Rog, I would have had much more interest had Fury been fighting for his belt. You know, I think he's an interesting character. I, I have an interest in Tyson Fury. I had zero interest in this, but what was interesting to me was the coverage of it. it seemed like nobody else had any interest in it either. I've, I've yet to read a positive spin on this uh, on this event. And it just, uh, you know, it just, it's really surprised even me how quickly the narrative has turned around these celebrity matches that, that have nothing authentic about them. There's nothing real at stake. The narrative's turned on uh, Logan Paul. The narrative's turned a little bit less on KSI. It's definitely turned on, not, I don't think on Fury, but on this one was not personal about Fury or personal about Ganu, but it was about the whole phenomenon of these meaningless boxing matches. So I was very curious to get your take on it because obviously, you know, you, you, you've talked about this at length in the past. Um, are you surprised to see how quickly people have taken the other side of this and just battering these events? Well, you know, first of all, credit to you, Grant. If I'm thinking back to the epilogue that you've done for the book, you know, you, you, you kind of talked about this in a time when it wasn't as yet clear. Uh, and you always have had this idea about, you know, these shiny things that would be transient. And uh, I'm a surprised. Um, let, let me say this, you know, I wrote that article, Bane at the Wounded, because I felt this was coming. I always try and, you know, look at with the eyes that are not just my own, but my eyes are telling me something very clear now. You know, I, I'd link it a little bit. Uh, to I don't know whether you saw it yesterday at the Ballon d'Or the the Messi win of the well I was going to come on to that yes I was going to come on to that but that's good we can bring we can fold that into well, this. well the thing I was going to mention to there was um, there was a video that went around with the the influencer Speed yep. who I don't know whether that was you were going to talk about he's in the audience and you know he's obviously well known as a, a Ronaldo fanboy. And, you know, his whole thing is that everybody knows Messi's going to win. So he's got the camera pointed to him and, you know, he does his classic face of shock and horror and disgust that his man doesn't win. 
and it just looked so bad, so, so, so bad. And, and you know, if you could almost put in the dictionary the definition of dead meme, it, that's as probably as close as you'll get to it. And, and I do link that back to Tyson Fury. I think with all of these things, you know, you've got to keep an element of perspective and realise, and I'm mis- making this up as I go along now because I hadn't thought about this, but like we always thought about things like the Spice Girls, you never believed your own hype. You always knew it had a shelf life. You squeezed it hard whilst you felt it had product market fit and you very quickly sensed when it was time to move on. You know, when you saw the KSI fight and the Logan Paul one, it's the John Fury, it's the father being so high profile that gives you an idea that it's time is done. You know, he's in the weigh-ins, you know, he's shirtless, he's showing off his buff body at his age and it just looks poor, it looks really poor. So from my eyes, I definitely would say that's a top, you know, and as I said in the article, I would be shorting the stock if if it was an equity. Um, but, you know, I'm not the kids of 14 and 15. I did speak to my kids about, you know, what was an incredibly disappointing evening with KSI and Logan Paul, those ones. And they said, look, this thing's got one more fight in it. Maybe it's KSI against Jake, and then it's done. And that's them saying that. So... I think you're right, Grant. I think you've always had a sensation. But, you know, your sensation isn't new. It's like I said to you before, when you are selling popular culture and it's popular culture without major roots, i.e. the the Spice Girls, you've got to be ready to kind of like get out of there, you know, get out of Dodge before it's too late. And I think, you know, that you see speed there with Messi. It just looks, it looks like it's like a fan de siècle a little bit. It looks as if it's done. Yeah, that speed thing. I wanted. To, I was going to bring that in, Rog. That that speed thing. I mean, it was pathetic. And just watching his face and the clowning and the exaggeration, and all of it. The very first thing when we recorded the first podcast in this show four or five years ago, whatever it was. Now, the one thing that you and I both had down uh, as a kind of touch point for the thing was authenticity. Right? It had to be authentic because ultimately a love of sport is authentic. It's not, you can't create a love of sport. You either love sport, you fall in love with the sport or the team or whatever it may be, but it's an authentic love. It's not something that you can just create. And that speed thing, I've never heard of speed. I've no clue who he is. He looked a little bit like Chris Tucker to me, the comedian back in the day who was, who was very similar in terms of his exaggerated expressions and stuff. Fine. I've never heard of this guy. But I'm sure there are other people who've never heard of this guy. And it's impossible to take that seriously. It's impossible to take that seriously because it's not as though there was any chance that Ronaldo was going to win that. It's amazing that he was even nominated for it, Rog, frankly. What's, what's he, oh, we're going to get the fire alarm test go off in a second. Um, <laughs> I don't even hear that. I'm going to have to wait for this. I'm going to have to wait for this. Hang on. Hey, you know, this is all part of the fun, right, Roger? Yeah, it's all, all part, part of, of the fun. fun. We're good. We um, can carry it. But yeah, I mean, look. It, yeah. Can you hear this? <laughs> it's a bit vaguely. Yeah. I don't know why they're announcing that they're going to do it three times. Just get it over with. Ring the bell. Ring the alarm. Ring the siren. Let's all not go anywhere and get on with life. 
we we had one in the weekend we were in Parma and reception called up and says there's a farm alarm about to go off just ignore it it's only a test which in itself kind of like defeats the purpose right you know I've never understood that as you yeah, say yeah yeah and then the Pharmalite does go off and it's like the softest little kind of like soft, soft, like dawn wakening alarm. And Raf and I just looked at each other and said, you weren't going to do anything with that, were you, even without the walk? That does not scream, get out now, get out now. Well, look, at that. Listen, let's carry it. Let's carry on and see what happens. As soon as I start talking properly again, it'll, it'll come back up. But um, you know, there is no chance Ronaldo was going to win that no. Ballon d'Or. I mean, he's done nothing, right? He went to Saudi for most of this year. Um, so to try and generate that kind of reaction to something that was utterly preposterous just shows you how ludicrous the whole thing is, Roger, and exposes it, in my mind, for what it is, which is completely fake. And with the best one in the world, I struggle to see anybody looking at that and connecting with it and engaging with it and finding well, it. kids do kids have up till now but no but do they but and this is i'm, I'm curious this yeah. is so because yeah i don't know if you remember um during the pandemic right there was this great clip that went around of these two young black guys who had this uh where they were listening to music you must remember this and yeah. they showed the phil yeah, collins yeah. yeah yeah right boom 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 yes when they told yeah. me they were wild but they were totally authentic right they were. their reactions were no less wild than this tool that the Ballon d'Or uh, things, <laughs> but they were authentic. And so you watch that and went, oh, how good is that? And just cannot believe that this, the age of fake isn't done, Rog. I think it's done. The whole age of fake, of pretending, of outsized reaction, of all this nonsense that is in no way real, I think it's done. And when I saw that speed clip, that to me, from my perspective, was the ultimate nail in the coffin because that was objectively ridiculous. There was nothing to connect with. There was nothing real. There was nothing of any substance to that whatsoever. And regardless of how trivial all the meme stuff has been, there was at least some substance to it. It was clever use of existing video clips or whatever to, to get a point. But there was something to it. There was substance. It was flimsy, but there was substance. This is nothing. And to me, that... And the way that these celebrity matches are suddenly completely on the nose tells me it's done. All this stuff is done. And it may take a while for it to filter through, but fake is over and real is coming back. And I cannot tell you how happy I am about that. Yeah, uh, listen, you know, if you were in setting a higher uh, A-level paper now, the essay would be, you know, meme and fake and celebrity sport was a bull market phenomenon, wasn't it? Discuss I think that would be a very interesting thing to debate. Yeah. I think it's slightly wider than this, Grant. I think it, it really goes into what the reality of fandom now is. Okay, the idea that it's segmented, the idea that you and Tobias Jones are different to my daughter, I think that's easy to say. And the task is how do you set something up to appeal to both or how do you segment to appeal to both? So that, uh, I think, is now getting a little bit more difficult to see when you think about what fans are doing now. And I want to link this a little bit to one of my own goals, which is about the increasing violence. And I think it comes under the whole heading of increasing intolerance that you get these days, whether that's, you know, in Marseille and, you know, knocking that coach out and putting uh, Fabio Grosso uh, into hospital. You know, it's Napoli-Verona. 
I was sent by one of our listeners, I mean, uh, a really great article about what was happening at the cricket in India, where I think it was a Bangladeshi fan was very heavily abused in cricket. And, you know, there's just, you see the whole, you know, very little time that managers get, how much glee there is when a player struggles. Uh, it just seems as if that everything is set up now for these, what you call, over-exaggerated reactions. I think it's it's bleeding into the general concept of fandom. It's something to think about because I don't think fans are the way they were. It's not just the heading, oh, it's the return of hooliganism, you know, Ajax fans, you know, trashing their own stadium. I don't think it is that. I think this is an element of intolerance that's bleeding into our politics, it's bleeding into to everything and, you know, sport... I think it's struggling with that a little bit because none of us know where this is going. There just doesn't seem to be any reasonable common sense on which to build your product, Grant. Yeah, Roger, I think you're absolutely right. And at the risk of flogging a dead horse, you know, we've spoken about this before, this is not coincidental. You know, the fact that all this stuff is happening, and you touch on this in the book when we're in a fourth turning, is very real, right? Sport is a tremendous outlet for frustration and you've talked about your time at the Scottish Premier League and how the police were keen to get all these guys to let their aggression out in the stadium at three o'clock on a Saturday. We're at that point again where, where the aggression and the anger and the frustration is building up in society and, and sport is a place where it feels to people so inclined acceptable to use that as a place to vent your frustration and the more frustrated people become the more aggressive that venting becomes and you know roger i fully expect to see plenty of escalation in the kind of violence we're seeing at soccer matches and in crowd situations or whatever sporting event there is because the frustration is bubbling up under the surface and sport brings a lot of people together it's tribal in nature and it's the perfect cauldron for people to release that tension so i i, I think this is just beginning rather than being something that's um you know, anywhere close to ending. Yeah, it is. I do think that it's a little bit worse than that. I almost sense, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, I almost sense that we have got to a stage that where fandom is almost enjoying more the negative than celebrating the positive. And I don't think that was the way it was, even in feral old football in our day, I don't think it was that way. Now, you know, the memes are are all lined up and primed as soon as Harry Maguire makes a bad pass. And, you know, speed is part of that. That let's wait for the moment and do the outrage thing. I think it's a big problem, Christ. This industry doesn't have its troubles to seek in trying to find a way out of this because it's, it's everywhere you look, there's a challenge, mate. It is. And look, I mean the nature of cycles is that they go round and they repeat. So the, the, the way out of the cycle is to go through it, which is, that's the only problem. So, you know, where does this cycle lead? Well, what we've seen is a gradual escalation of this stuff and, and it will reach its apogee at some point. But that's in the future, it's not now, and things will get worse before they get better. And I do worry because this is all happening against an incredibly flammable background in society there's nationalism, there is um, problems with inflation, there are problems with Brexit, there is, there's all kinds of division. And to have so many people divided who can unite around something like a, 
cricket team in India or a, or a football team in, in France and use that as a common focus point to vent their anger. I don't know. I suspect we're going to see some, some really bad things happen, Roger, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, listen, I think you're right. And I want to talk about a couple of them. Very aware of the fact that, you know, I don't want to be known as Mr. Cassandra. Being right doesn't mean I take satisfaction at what's happening. A couple of things. Big ones, big ones, right. If you look at the Higposis Music Fund, that music fund is about basically royalty and copyright music IP that's been put in a fund and was meant to pay out a yield. You know, a classic fund, the LPs uh, run by somebody. This week in an EGM, the investors, they sacked the, the manager of that fund. They basically said, we're not going yeah. on like this anymore. The plan is wrong. You massively, massively overpaid for these rights of artists from Shakira to Beyonce. Higposis for, for a while now has been the kind of like poster child of, of music 2 or 3.0 and where you were going to make money out of it. And it has absolutely collapsed. You'll laugh at the fact, Grant, that the board thought that one of the ways they could get out of this was by selling some assets to Blackstone. The old idea of the continuation funds that we mentioned a couple of podcasts ago. And, and with some of the comments that came out were the whole premise of the fund at the time in a bull market two or three years ago was to take advantage of the increasing demand for music in the age of streaming. Now, you exchange the word music for sport and you exchange the word hypnosis for CVC and you have got a perfect match. Long time ago, we've been on this podcast saying that we didn't believe, or certainly I didn't believe that CVC were making good investments. They weren't marking down to market. But they should look very closely at that music fund and how it ended and they should be very, very scared, Grant. You're absolutely right. And you sent me that story. I wasn't aware of it until you sent it to me. But the really important thing for people to understand with this, I thought it was hypnosis. Is it hypnosis? I, I have no idea. Hypnosis. Hypnosis. Very cleverly. I thought it was yeah. hypnosis. Just spelled cleverly. Anyway, whatever it is. The important thing here to understand, and the reason why this is so problematic, and you hinted at it there in what you said, Rog, they overpaid for the assets in the first place. And that's exactly right. Now, the reason they overpaid was because money was cheap and so they could borrow for no cost. So they overpaid. They get in bidding wars because they can just borrow more. It doesn't cost them anything extra to borrow. But the lesson from that that people need to understand is if the problem is they overpaid, all the overpaying has already been done. Elsewhere across the landscape, whether it's in sporting franchises, whether it's in music, whether it's in media, arts, entertainment, whatever it may be, the damage is done. They have overpaid because they could, and it was easy. Now we're getting to the part where the overpayment is being revealed. There's nothing you can do about it. If you've overpaid for the asset, you can't change the price. The price is the price. And so what happens now is fair value gets applied. And you, you, you and I have spoken about this so many times. You know, even I'm getting bored of it. So sorry, apologies to the listeners if they're getting bored of it still. The easiest way to lose money is to pay the wrong price for something, Period. You don't make money when you sell things. You make your money when you buy them. And there's been so much damage done by people just overpaying because, well, you know, so-and-so's outbid us by 100 million bucks. Why don't we just borrow another 150? The net cost to us isn't that much. And then we'll get the asset done, finished. And, and rising cost of capital, Roger, as we've said, exposes all these flaws. It makes people suddenly look at discounted cash flows and work out what assets are really worth going forward. And that's it. 
you're done. You're out the game. So you're going to have to have a fire sale. You're going to have to sell the asset for what it's worth rather than what you paid for it. And there's going to be a massive gap between the numbers. And this is just the beginning. This hypnosis, hypnosis, whatever the hell it's called, this is just the beginning. And you're going to see these stories weekly and they're going to get bigger and they're going to get more systemic. And the drip that is hypnosis is going to become a flood. I have no idea where it leads. I just know the direction of travel and the direction of travel is really problematic, really problematic. But if you've got cash and you don't need to lever up, boy, oh boy, you're going to get a chance to buy some things at the right price. And that clearing event is what needs to happen, right? Everything needs to get repriced and be put into the hands of people who can afford to carry it. And so, um, you know, your bane at the wounded article could not have been timed better and could not be more important for people to understand. Yeah, the the other one I would refer to, which I think now is almost a year old, was Arabian Nights of the last game in town. Now, I think it was, what, not so long ago that the sports industry, the penalty actually dropped about, you know, how serious Saudi was about everything. And all of a sudden, you know, changed as it does a day late and a dollar short, but they changed. But guess what? Fuck's sake, Grant, when you have got Saudi being the only game in town, Arab capital being the only capital around. When you've got what some call the Islamification of Europe just through simple demographics, what happened on October 7th isn't a small issue. What's going on now with, you know, the Arab world and some ways, you know, surrounding Israel, I don't want to get into that at all. But what I'm saying is, that is a massive black swan for a sports industry that was only just starting to get its head around the fact that the Arab capital was going to have to be part of their game plan. And now who knows where that ends up. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we, you know, we saw the Qataris pull out of Man United slightly before this. And I'm not suggesting in any way they knew what was happening beforehand. And that's why they pulled out the Man United deal. But this belief that you could just keep pushing and the, and the Middle Eastern money would pay whatever price, that was shattered when the Qataris said, no, you know what, you can have it, Jim. And now Ratcliffe's left holding the baby. It has changed, Roger. The world, the world has changed. And I suspect that the events, in, you know, to call the events in the Middle East a black swan, and I understand why you use that term, just shows you what's happened. Because the last time the world had the kind of problems it's facing now, there was nothing black swan about trouble in the Middle East, nothing at all, right? It, we expected it. We, we lived through it. It happened every week. And we're back there again. You know, once again, we come back to cycles. So the, the Middle Eastern money is, if not gone altogether, it's certainly going to be much more price sensitive. They are going to be stewarding their assets much more carefully now. And it just shows you how quickly this stuff changes, Rog, because they were flinging a billion dollars at professional golfers two years ago. Right, I mean, which is just ludicrous, frankly. And they were throwing money at this sports franchise and that league. I, I think that's stopped. It's not that the money's gone away, but it's not just going to be, we want it, we're going to pay whatever we need to get it. Um, and that changes the sporting landscape massively. Yeah, I think, you know, also politically, there's going to be a whole lot of barriers now to, you know, if there was already some, you know, holding of the nose and accepting their money, which I've never done, but many did. Uh, I think that's going to be uh, quadrupled now. You know, if you think that, you know, Saudi was thinking about getting behind some kind of like bid for Endeavour, 
here's the thing, and people should take this absolutely, absolutely the right way. The sport, media and entertainment industries are rather heavily weighted to the Jewish community. Always, always have been. And that is going to be an issue. That is going to be an issue. I must admit, Grant, in these days, you know, I see a lot of people and they're great writers and they're doing great stuff. They're doing articles about, you know, Serie A and the French League and why it doesn't matter for the NBA and why it doesn't matter for the EPL and everything's okay. I honestly think that is just micro. It doesn't matter when you look at these big things, these big things, the Middle East and Israel uh, and what I've just said is going to change a lot of stuff. What we heard, uh, and I do want to refer to this because I think this is really important now. It's not sport, but it is really important. That Stan Druckenmiller interview with Tudor Jones is absolutely astonishing what they were saying and basically laying out how much pain the capital markets are going to go into, how much pain the finances of governments are going to have, especially the American government. All of these things are going to dictate everything in our sector, in our world, in our personal budgets and and disposable income. This isn't about whether Ligue 1 is now not interesting because Messi's gone, because uh, Neymar's gone, uh, and because maybe Mbappe's going to go as well. It's nothing to do with that. It's nothing to do with that. Look at the bigger picture. We are in a moment, and that's why this book is called that. It is an absolute perfect storm, you know? We throw in the, the stuff that the, the product market fit stuff at the start about speed and and, and, and celebrity uh, boxing. There's nothing more you could throw onto the flames here, in my opinion, Grant. Yeah, I don't disagree. You know, the fact that you use the word astonishing to describe that conversation between Drucker Miller and Tudor Jones it speaks volumes, Roger, because it's not astonishing at all, right? It's just it just happens that. We've reached the point where mathematics matters again, and mathematics tends no, to. No, but Grant, when... it is astonishing. I'm going to I'm going to push back on this just now because you don't hear those conversations in all the big programs on the classic media, whether that's the BBC. It doesn't even... make it astonishing, right? It doesn't yeah, make it astonishing. No, it's not all. astonishing it for is... you and me, but good, well-educated people who believe they're reading and listening to and watching the right content are not. They simply are not. And I find that quite disturbing. You know, that video will not be seen by most people. They will not understand that in 20 years' time, the interest payments on a government debt in America will massively overflow beyond any kind of discretional income they've got. They don't get that. And I must admit... That's why what you've done in trying to set up a higher standard of media, not you're not on your own, but there's others as well. It's just so important, especially now, especially now because people are watching the mainstream media and they are getting a quarter of the picture. Yeah, look, it's, it's sad but true. And, and the other sad thing, Roger, is, is because of that, when people do get exposed to Paul and Stan having that conversation, their natural reaction is going to be, what do these guys know? What, you know? what are they talking about? I've Everything I've listened to suggests this is complete nonsense, so why should I listen to them? When, of course, the opposite is true. But that's just, that's just the way it is, my friend. That's just the way it is, unfortunately. 
Listen, Roger, I, I wanted to bring up your most recent piece about quotas, which you published, I think, a couple of days ago, because um, I read it this morning and it's it's absolutely fantastic. And, and first of all, fair play to you for taking on the subject because it's one of those subjects that, you know, a lot of people would shy away from from taking on. But talk a little bit about that piece because there's a lot to say around it, but rather than me steal your thunder, talk about what it was that made you write it and what you were trying to say. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say uh, in general these days, Grant, is that I discriminate. I am an elitist, but it's got nothing to do with race or colour or religion uh, or anything like that. I have become a little bit of a, a snob around quality and my little rant a second ago is in that line. I found myself getting much more angry about the mediocrity that's around there. And that's what the piece is about a little bit. The piece is about the fact that Arsenal women's team with the picture of all um, white girls got a lot of heat. Arsenal felt that they had to come out and make what I would call the classic statement these days of, you know, everybody likes an apology these days, don't they? And uh, we'll do better. I, and my article was about that they shouldn't even be apologising. I don't think... Um, this is a club that's the most multicultural uh, probably in, in the UK. They have brought so many new fans into women's football. They've got an excellent team. They're breaking records all the time. And I just talked about pathways. I talked about pathways to bring out and discover excellence. Excellence like uh, Ian Wright, who had the luck to find a teacher who gave him that pathway. Mr. Pigeon, and uh, I linked it a little bit to a wider subject around elite education and, you know, everything that's been said these days about what's going on in our universities. And, you know, I guess the point is just in all this world that we're in just now where it is so difficult to even have any stable point of reference, the only thing that you know is always authentic is excellence and quality. It's the only thing. And my fear is that whether it's Arsenal women or whether it's somebody else or whether it's some HR department that looks at percentages and thinks they're not right, they're going to compromise on quality to get those quotas where they think they should be. And this, my friend, is not a moment to be compromising on quality and values and excellence for the sake of quotas because we need all our Captain Kirks on the bridge at the same time. And I guess that was the thrust of the article. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, I saw that picture of the Arsenal women's team. And of course, I saw it with all the captions. And I realised, I caught myself thinking, oh, wow, you know, there's just all young white women on that team. And then I checked myself and went, so what? If those are the best 24 footballers that Arsenal can find, what does it matter? Particularly if you put the men's the picture of the men's team alongside them, it's obviously not an institutional problem that Arsenal Football Club no. has, Rogers, as no. you so perfectly pointed out. This is not any kind of discrimination. These are the best players that they can find. And again, I hope that this is a a pendulum that does stick swing back the other way. And it isn't it doesn't become about inclusion for inclusion's sake. It becomes about this is a, a sporting endeavor where the aim is to win and we need our best twenty-four players on the pitch. And if those best 24 players are all white or all black or all Asian, who cares? It doesn't, it shouldn't matter. You know, it shouldn't matter. It should be a meritocracy sport. It's always been that way. It's competition. And, it, and if you kind of a meritocracy and competition. Yeah. The other thing that's in the article, which 
Uh, listen, I do think it can't be right that they're all white. It can't be. But the reason isn't, is, as you say, it isn't anything to do with discrimination. It's about pathways and opportunity. And, you know, in the article, it talks about their academy being in Borenwood, which isn't in the heart of urban London, isn't in North London. Um, and that's what they have to address. And I think they know that. Um, and, and, you know, there was one part of the article that went into the, the theme that, you know, how much of sport is actually getting gentrified now into the classic middle class mummy and daddy taxing uh, Jack and Gerald uh, around to play all the sports, which maybe includes football now. Maybe even women's football has become too middle class. That's something I really care about because I don't come from that background. I come from, as I said in the article, a background of street football where often you didn't know who you were playing with. They didn't know you. You were picked last. And the amazing satisfaction you got the second time you went to them and you were picked third or fourth because you knew instant meritocracy, recognition, feedback. So, you know, it was an article that, as my want, a little bit wanders a wee bit around many different houses, but... um, I'm grateful that you liked it. And if it doesn't sound too much slapping each other in the back, I wanted to mention what I've just seen the last couple of days that you've sent me that's not out yet, which is the Scudamore interview you did. When he was in Como, you organised best part of two hours to sit down with him, which is very, very rare. Anyway, I saw that I saw that video today and my compliments, my compliments really, but I'm not going to give you the bulk of the compliments, or even uh, a lot of them. I'm going to give him the compliments, you know, and and here's why. He did another interview recently where the interviewer said to him, I know he was half joking, but not really. Uh, Didn't you just get lucky, Richard, that you, you lived in a period where, you know, it was the boom of media rights and you just rode that wave? And And Richard, because you know now who he is, said, yeah, that's probably true. I know what my answer is, Grant, but I want to ask you, after having sat down for him for that time and then spent another four hours in his company that Friday evening just shooting the breeze, do you feel that that man got lucky or do you feel that you are in the presence of somebody? I don't want to lead the witness, but on you go. Not a chance did he get lucky, Rog. Until this, Richard and I had communicated over email. We'd met very briefly and we both happened to be in the same place at the same time, a few months ago, but that was after he'd agreed to, to to spend that time with me. But the first time I really got to to sit and not just talk to him as I did in those two hours, but also watch him in a group setting at the sports summit, I was blown away, not just by his candor, but also you can tell when, when someone has a, a very high EQ, has a very solid understanding of the business they're in, the advantages, the disadvantages, he had it all, Rog, and the ability he had to see the future, to manage to take, first of all, what, 74 chairman with him when he was the head of the English Football League, to take 74 different disparate personalities on that journey with him to convince them to get in the boat and go with him when every single one of them probably wants to roll from a different direction. And then subsequently, in the age of such a massive expansion of the Premier League, to be able to do the same with first 22 and then 20 different chairmen who all had their own agendas, who all had their own beliefs about the importance of their club and the say they should have. It's an incredible thing that he did, Roger. An incredible thing. And anyone that says he got lucky, I suggest doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, Yes, he had tailwinds. But when you think how easy it would have been to screw those up, how easy it would have been to let people 
get out of hand, to to not manage to corral everybody, to not get everybody on the same page. That's all it would have taken. You, know, you get two or three chairmen who don't buy into your vision and you're finished. So, no, absolutely, he deserves all the credit, not just for what he did for the Premier League, but also, as you as you quite rightly say, in my conversation with him, the kudos goes to him. He was he was remarkable. You know, he was he was so comfortable and so open. And you know, what shone through for me was just his intelligence, and I mean that in the in the truest sense of the word. He, he has the kind of intelligence that you need to run a big endeavor like that. But you need a very different kind of intelligence to be able to manage the personalities involved, particularly when the personalities involved are of the nature that you have running these big football clubs. And he just oozes that ability, that EQ, IQ mesh, which is so, so rare, Roger. I mean, God, I can't even tell you how few times I've come across that in my in my life and career. Well, I mean, I'm one of the handful of people, maybe a wee bit more now if you take it into other sports, but one of the handful of people that actually has run a football league in Europe, in the UK, and I was listening to that interview with you and, you know, just one bell after the other rung about the difficulties, getting them together, uh, winning them over, uh, how you manage uh, uh, disagreements because you fall out with all of them. He said that you just got to make sure you don't fall out at the same time. I just, I know, not many know because they haven't done that job. I know what he did is truly astonishing. You just need to look at other leagues around the world. Serie A announces the deal they did uh, last week and, and De Laurentiis of Napoli is out the, the second after, slamming everybody, slamming everybody. Did you ever see that happen in the EPL? Never, ever did you see that happen. Again, it comes back to my thing about excellence and quality. I'm not saying I'm the best or, or, or I'm at the, the, the top uh, quartile of that, but Christ, I know it when I see it, Grant. And that guy there, that interview, I don't know what your plans are for it. It's in obviously on your website and your members get to see it behind the paywall. But at some point, I think the sports industry needs to see that. It was truly astonishing. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Roger. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out how to do that because more people should be able to see that, particularly in the industry. So we'll, we'll definitely find a way for them to do that. But um, I was... So impressed with Richard. And, and and look, and to top it off, and, and you were sitting around the table after the camera stopped rolling, we, we sat there and had a, a couple of pizzas and a couple of beers and a chat, and that was as much fun as I've had sitting around a table telling stories uh, as I can remember in decades, you know. And so not only does he have that ability to run an incredibly difficult endeavour, but he's an awful lot of fun too. So, uh, yeah, I, I, no, I thank you for, for making the connection and introducing us. Uh, and giving me that chance to do that. But, um, yeah, I mean, talk about a massive goal. Uh, Richard Scudamore is a walking goal. There's no doubt no about that. No doubt it. about that. I, I'm going to end on a, on a more positive note because, uh, you know, when you when I, I, do my, I do my list of goal on goals for each of these shows, it's very, very telling as, I, I, as an indicator itself. The own goals is a long, long, long yep. list and the goals are becoming <laughs> yes. extremely fucking rare. That's so true. It's same. so true, isn't yep. it? Isn't it? You know, like, and yeah, these, are, these are the little indicators that tell you bull and bear market. They really are. So anyway, my, my goal is, um, uh, it's not a new one, but I still don't think people are saying enough about this. Jude Bellingham. I mean... Oh, do you know what? I'm so glad you brought this up. You, you know, I mean... I don't know what to say anymore. I mean, to go to Real Madrid, which 
you know, if, if when you watch the Beckham documentary, that's not a normal club. That is not a normal club. You go there at 20 and you take it with a scruff of the neck, and I don't just mean Roy Keane-esque, I mean heavy goals, you know, changing games, winning games, dragging a team uh, from defeat to victory. The guy's fucking 20 grand. You know, like, uh, I, I saw Stevie G come out, right, as a young lad. That was in Richard's time, that kind of stuff. But this guy's better than Stevie G. You know, I cannot say strongly enough in today's world of football, and it's different, it's harder, teams aren't as easily knitted together the way they were back in the 90s and everything like that. How the hell does a lad from English that doesn't speak Spanish take that team by the scruff of the neck like that? It is astonishing. Well, it's, I think the clue, Rog, and you're right in everything you say, and I'm, I'm, I too am just marvelling at what he's doing. It's, it's extraordinary. But the clue for me was in the, the pitch side interview he gave after the England-Italy game. He finished up and he kind of, as he was walking off the pitch, he just came and shook everybody's hand and just walked past them. And they said, oh, yeah, we're hoping, hoping to get Jude to come back and talk to us. Sure enough, 20 minutes later, he turns up again in his tracksuit and he's obviously been in the dressing room and you know, the, the fans are all gone. He's just standing there talking to Joe Cole and um, was it Carragher? I, I forget now. There were, there were three or four pundits there. Gianfranco Zola, Joe Cole, uh, yeah, Jill, Jill, Jill Scott, is it? Uh, I can't remember. I can't think, I can't think <laughs> now. But, but it, my, most of the conversation was to Zola and, and Joe Cole, right? His presence and his level-headedness and his erudition it, it, it's just mind-boggling to me that a kid of 20 can can talk that way, can think that way, doesn't seem nervous, could make jokes and make Zola feel comfortable. And, you know, when Zola was talking, Italian, he, he made some joke about, you know, I was still drinking milk from my mother at that time and, and Bellingham handled that and, and made it, you know, the right joke. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. We talk about Richard Scudamore's EQ. Bellingham's obviously got a massive EQ as well. And I just, as you say, the sky's the limit for this kid. I mean, there, there's no telling what he could do and where he could go because he has, you know, he has the tenacity of Gerard. He has the skill of Gascoigne. And he has the kind of head on his shoulders that someone like, you know, like a Brian Robson had. And so you think about what a powerful combination that is. And you can't help as, a, as an English football fan but be excited about what he's going to do because make no mistake about it, already the England team is his team. Um, there's, no, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. You can, see the, you can see the other players deferring to him. You can see it, right? You can see when he's brought up to them. They all know it. They all see this guy's going to be, when we go into these big championships, if he's not the captain, and I, I'd be staggered if he wasn't made the captain in the not-too-distant future, Rog. Hope so. He is going to be the one they're all going to look to. You know, he just is. It's just, it's just, it's just fantastic. The last one, just before we close, uh, again, positive. You know, it's great to see Barcelona start putting a little bit more weight back on the Cantera again, on the on the the, the famous academy they've got. You know, Gui or whatever he's how he pronounced that. He came on at seventeen years old. He's two thousand and six. You know, he comes on as sub, scores the goal, and they pan to the parents in the in the stand, and the mother is in bits. I don't know how I would handle that. You know, if it was if it was my boy or my girl, and and something as big as that happened, but you know, uh, uh, Barcelona uh, financially are a basket case. They're pulling all kind of tricks to to get by, but you know, I think the better story there to focus on is that they've started to realise that it's maybe better to go back to that little place called the Cantera, 
and um, you know Ajax should do the same. They've and that's going to be the Sunday column this week about Ajax. You know how they've lost their way, and it's just you know the the stuff you're still hearing about Bobby Charlton. You know why he was the one that, that wanted Ferguson because when Ferguson was getting interviewed, he said, "I want to create a club where young people get a chance early and they're in the first team early." And Bobby said, "That's my guy." You know. In this nonsense, which is the football industry, almost unmanageable de facto now, the only certainty, and we keep coming back, is what are the certainties we can hang a flag on? The, the youth academy, if done well, is something that we all get behind, the fans get behind, the community get behind. So, you know, United should focus back on that because, shit, they need some kind of solution there. Um, you know, Ajax should do it and Barcelona have started. So, you know, long live the youngsters. Long live Jude Bellingham. Amen, Rog. Amen. Well, that was a nice, positive way to finish. And finish we must because... I've got to go, Rog, I'm afraid. Thanks again, mate, for doing this. I know it's uh, I caught you off guard by fitting in. I had no idea the clocks had changed. Apologies for the fire alarm and all that, but thanks for doing it. And of course, no, it goes without saying, but I like to say it every week anyway, thanks to you out there for listening to us. Um, it just wouldn't be the same without you. So if you don't follow us already, please put that right. You'll find us on social media at entertained R, the word A-R-E. You can find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. All right, my friend. Uh, and the armor. I'll talk to you soon. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Goodbye.